Hello and welcome to Letters and Lines, a new comics podcast looking at comics from the perspective of being a fan, a creator, and a critic. Before we dive into what we're actually going to be talking about in this episode, it's probably worth introducing who we are so you know whose voices you're listening to. I'm Hass. I'm a writer of comics, an editor of comics, a letter comics. Um, I also do a YouTube series called Strip Panel Naked, Breaking Down Comics Art, and I edit a magazine called Panel by Panel. Has, has. I would like to point out that we are now officially an Eisner adjacent podcast because my co-host's little magazine, Panel by Panel, has been nominated for an Eisner Award this year. Yes, <laughs> it has. Uh, thanks <laughs> I to just wanted Mo- to point that out before we go forward. No, it's, it's thanks to mostly um, some, you know, we've got a really amazing team of people that write on the magazine. And you've also written a bunch of, you've written, what, three pieces, I think, for that? For the yeah, so, which, which means that I'm going to take all the credit if you win the award. You should. Everyone else really should be taking all the credit for it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's so going to be me, not not everybody else. <laughs> okay. So who? So who are you? I'm Aditya Bidikar, and I let our comics like Assassinistas, Bloodborne, and Ruin of Thieves. So every episode, we basically bring a topic each to the podcast, and we spend a bit of time talking about each topic. Um, and I've brought a topic, obviously, this week, and it's about. A thing that we saw on Twitter, if you're a comics Twittery person, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably have, you probably follow one of us on Twitter, so I guess you follow the comics Twitter thing. Um, but w- my topic is about uh, a thing that I saw come up, which was about artists changing their styles in their work, also sort of touching on the topic of artists kind of like aping other people's styles, and if that's an issue, if that's a thing, if that's worth discussing, I don't know. Uh, I think it is. My topic this week was originally going to be evolutionary dead ends in comics lettering, but I soon realized that that's a lot of homework to do while I'm off sick. So instead, I'm going to geek out about Alex Thoth's lettering. Yeah, we should point out that you are ill. So, yeah, so... if people hear you dying at any point in the episode, it's, it's you know, it's, it's it, it, you, well, it's bad, but also... Yeah, but I think Hass will carry on without me, and I'm sure yeah. we'll get a co-host. Maybe you lost Denny's camp or something. The show, the show must go on, the show yeah, must go absolutely. on. Absolutely. Before, before, before we get into the, the two topics, we did have a question on Twitter just as we started recording this from uh, Katie Schenkel, um, who you probably know from writing various comics like Moonlighters. Uh, but the question she had was, um, what are the tools that you need to letter digitally? Do you need a graphic design background? And if not, what are the general skills you need to start lettering? I will say that I do not have a graphic design background. And, and neither probably do I. Any skills, yeah, or any skills or any tools. <laughs> uh, I do have, what I do have is uh, Adobe Illustrator and um, uh fonts so yeah i think i think if you really want to get just get started right now i would say uh see i think i think both of us are self-taught right so uh, i personally started with uh, adobe illustrator obviously and i started with uh, uh, some free fonts from blambot.com that is nate picos's website so he basically uh, does one free and one paid font every month and the free fonts are free if uh, as long as you're maybe self-publishing or you're publishing with a comparatively independent publisher I think you can use them for free. Uh, and uh, there's a there used to be a website called balloontails.com by uh, the people at Comicraft, uh, where there's a lot of tutorials about how to start lettering. I think the website is still around, so you can check that out. Uh, otherwise, uh, Todd Klein did a book called uh, Comics Lettering, like, I think the DC Guide to Comics Lettering or something like that, uh, uh, which you can check out if you want to you know, spring some money into this. Uh, it's a really great uh, book about not only lettering, but also about making your own fonts. 
And if you just want to get started and if you just need a solid guide, uh, Jim Campbell, who's uh, at Campbell Letters on Twitter, he created a small PDF guide that I think he put up online something like two years ago, which is mm-hmm. which would be very useful. Yeah, that's what I that's what I use as my my first kind of guide was Jim's uh, was Jim's guide, uh, which is really, really useful. Just getting you started, like just understanding how to create shapes in in illustrator and things like that. Um, Whereas everything else I think has come from, you know, tutelage from you as well, from you giving (laughs) me feedback Um, and also just kind of just learning and just doing it and learning as you do it is a a big thing. Absolutely. And uh, um, you know, uh, about the skills, like I think I, I, I think I talked about this in the first episode that I did not come from a particularly visual background. I came from a prose storytelling background. So I think you need to come to lettering with either some skills or some interests, and then you can learn the rest. Like, I think you can learn how to make good SFX and like, you know, um, there's a lot of tutorials online about those things. Also, like you just do a lot of stuff and then people will give you feedback. Um, but I think the key thing is not to be afraid because it's a it's pretty fun to do lettering. So I think you can start <laughs> and then, you know, figure out the rest. Yeah, yeah. That's basically, I think, just just kind of just get as with anything really, just kind of get stuck into it. But there are good, there are good guides online. I think Jim, I'd recommend Jim's as a good kind of starting point as well. Yeah, I haven't read that one because I was already lettering by then, but uh, I remember him putting it together. And like Jim is great, so I think you can definitely trust mm-hmm. him on this stuff. Well, to get to get kickstarting on this week's topic, yeah, uh, this was something that I saw on Twitter. Um, that came out of, uh, I think it was, was it Steve McNeven? I think maybe had done some stuff in the style um, of a different artist and people were kind of just talking about if that was uh, okay, if that was cool, if that was a thing that you could do, if, yeah. if it was an issue, essentially. Um, I, like, I, I think we'll circle back around to that specific topic. But what I was going to talk about, I suppose, mostly was the idea of of changing your style as an artist, because I think... I what we see typically is we understand the style of, of someone's art, right? Like if we think of, um, you know, if we think of Steve McNeven, for example, you kind of get a sense of what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, like to me, my mind goes straight to Civil War and it goes straight to like the way he does noses. That's a really <laughs> weird thing to remember. But actually, he, he, yeah, like he, that's the first thing I thought of as well. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a very specific way of doing noses. Yeah. Um, but you, but you know what his style looks like. If you think of Frank Miller, uh, you'll probably think of the later Frank Miller, like the Sin City stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, you, you'll see his kind of style or whatever. Um, so artists will typically have a style. Um, but I don't think it's. I think it's a weird thing because I don't think it's necessarily a, a bad thing to move away from a style. I think you will have the freedom to move away from a style. Yeah. If- but I think this is also where comics is unique because. What I was going to do was bring in the idea of like film and filmmakers changing styles, and that happens quite a lot. Um, but what you get with comics is presumably is that it's not necessarily uh, a style in the same way that like a filmmaker may change their style or change their approach for different films. But it's a style as in that's just the kind of way that your hand actually just renders stuff on a page, maybe. Yeah, and which is actually why I think that uh, when artists are transitioning into a new style because they're developing, you kind of end up seeing the transition. Like for somebody mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Travis Charest or um, Scotty Young, you can kind of see the transition as it happens. While um, I think the thing you're, that you're talking about, about sort of changing styles, so like uh, we could sort of mention somebody like Stuart Eminem for that. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, like oh, yeah, J.H. Yeah, yeah. Williams. 
and there it's mostly about like they are changing the way they're rendering but it's also like they're trying to uh, put forth some sort of graphic um, idea right Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the imminent one is a good example because I've just been doing some of that stuff strip down there because that's really like that's very fresh in the mind. Um, but his style changed dramatically with like the Superman story he did with um, Buziek and also uh, the story he did with Catherine um, that I can't remember the name uh, of now. But pictures, that's I think. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, moving pictures. And it's really, it's really like graphic-y and it's like really slimmed down. You would not look at that and then look at like a page of his Spider-Man work and go, that's the same artist. It's yeah, completely yeah. different. Yeah. Um, so I, I like, I think it's interesting that you see artists trying to challenge themselves in some way. But it also made me think a little bit about um, uh, an interview with Chris Ward that we did for Panel by Panel on issue six, right. where he said... Um, that sometimes he wants to try and do something different a little bit in his work, but also he's very aware that people are, might just be buying a Chris Ward comic because they want the Chris Ward. Yeah. They want like that kind of, um, you know, like trippy, spacey visuals. And if he wants to do, if he does something different, does he lose the people that just love that kind of art that he does? You know what I mean? Like the people yeah. that come into it from a kind of art style side. Um, but I don't like, would you, be would you would you as a as a consumer say would you be kind of like put off if you say bought like a book by an artist for you know like a mainstream superhero book and then you went and bought like another mainstream superhero book by them and their art style was just completely different would that throw you off uh it depends really because uh, there are artists where i look forward to the fact that uh every new book i buy from them is going to excite me because there's like something I'm, I didn't expect. Like, for example, mm-hmm. Stuart Eminem or G.H. Williams, like uh, what he did in Desolation. Like, I've been reading G.H. Williams since Desolation Jones. And yeah, yeah. like the change from that to the Batman Club of Heroes thing to um, Promethea to Batwoman to now Sandman mm-hmm. Overture, it's just, I, I mean, this is incredible. I like, I, I feel like I'm in the uh, front row seats of like a genuine comic spectacle almost. (laughs) Uh, But but I'm sure like there must be some artists where I used to love what they did and then and now I look at something they've done and I just doesn't uh, connect with me or something. I'm I'm sure there are some of those. Uh, Well, it it, it makes me think of when you put it like that, it makes me think of a conversation I was having with Dennis, actually, uh, Camp, uh, about um, the idea of like of writing styles is that you have people who have a, a particular voice, right? You yeah. have people that develop a, a sort of a style of, uh, of their writing where you could read one of their books and you're like, I know who that is straight away. Yeah. And they maybe they mine similar topics or they mine similar themes. And that was uh, made me think of like an artist, like they, if they have their style and they don't necessarily, if they don't necessarily venture out of that style very much, um, they have their kind of, that's their signature look. But, but there is a sense of like, if you're uh, a writer and you're pushing what we see with what we I suppose what we would typically assume is that writers may get bored by something after a while of doing the same thing that's not, obviously not entirely true you've got like John Grisham who's written the same uh, <laughs> novel for like forever but that's, that's a, sorry bad knock on John Grisham um, <laughs> but what you get is you get people like Alan Moore for example who just like a lot of his work is really 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 different like it's yeah. like you can tell that he's kind of pushing to try and do stuff that changes his work uh the same even the same with warren ellis warren ellis you can see there's still like usually a, a kind of a grounding in that kind of like sci-fi or high tech yeah stuff. and you can tell warren ellis dialogue when you see it yeah yeah but he still pushes around what he within the framework of his stories i'm thinking like fell is quite different for example than a lot of like yeah, his kind or, of more straight like- sci-fi stuff 
Yeah, or Frankenstein's womb. That was like completely different from almost, almost anything else he'd done. Yeah, yeah. So, but what we I, what I would say is like maybe you get less of that with comic book artists because maybe the story they're telling is different, right? It's a different genre or whatever. But is the style... Because if the style doesn't change, does that mean that they're kind of like telling the same story again or not? This is what I like. I don't. This is what I'm. I I haven't made <laughs> made up a decision yet because it's it's it's. I think it's such a different discipline than writing anyway. But can you still be? Can you still push yourself without changing your style? Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like you so, mentioned, so- J.H. Williams, and that that his style has kind of changed and developed. But can you still push yourself and and your art still look the same? So you're basically asking if uh, an artist can draw in the same style but draw different genres, like like kind no, of keep no. the same core identity but like switch mood and stuff, or like no, because no, because I think they, you can do that. I think that's 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 easy enough. But I mean, can you can you feel like you're pushing yourself? Uh, hmm. like specifically by working outside of your comfort zone without changing your art style? Uh, that would be very difficult. I, yeah, like I... <laughs> I mean, unless unless it's somebody that, like for whom like learning anatomy is pushing themselves, like... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But like what... I, I don't know, like... I, I, it depends. It's a tough, because that's, that's the question that's been in my mind for since see, this see, topic was... Yeah, for example... Was uh, that, Miller, uh, I, I need to stop saying that so much, for example. Um, Miller, <laughs> Frank Miller, like his style just changed very gradually over the years. And it's sort of like, yeah. uh, I think you can see a continuum between uh, his Daredevil work and uh, even Xerxes right now. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, like, I don't know if you'd necessarily recognize them as being by the same artists at first glance, if you didn't already yeah. know about it, but you yeah, can, yeah. like if you know about it, you can see the continuum. And uh, see, uh, okay, here's something very interesting. Um, so Steve Dillon, um, like his style in Preacher, kind of changed over the years. Like from the beginning till the end, it was recognizably his own style, but he mm-hmm. kind of um, now, like according to him he kind of uh, drilled down to what is absolutely essential about his style, which is the body language and the acting and all of those things. And Mm -hmm. he kind of removed the, you know, rough rendering that he used to do in the, you know, early issues of Preacher. But that personally, that made me a bit less of a fan because I really used to love what he did in Hellblazer and the early issues of Preacher. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's an example of somebody kind of pushing themselves to the sort of extreme version of their, what they they want their style to be. While I'm sure, like there's there were other people who were somewhat alienated by it. So Steve yeah, Dillon yeah. was definitely like didn't was not thinking that oh I need to please everyone with the style that I'm eventually gonna have. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he was just he just he just chose what was important to him and decided to follow through on that. Well, there's, I suppose there's an element of, the, like, you know, the Frank Miller example is like an, like an example of someone finding their voice or finding their style as they progress through professional work. Yeah. And so you, you have the trait, like, the, almost like the paper trail of seeing them get to the point where they're kind of, like, happy with the work. Actually, that's, I think, like I think something, that's something fun about comics that you always see that paper trail. Like, 
Mm-hmm. Something great about the fact that comics are always serial, serialized is that you get to see people learn in public and you get to kind of trace <laughs> their evolution. Like yeah, yeah. you can see comic strips by Alan Moore when Alan Moore was not really as good as Alan Moore. You know, <laughs> I, I love the fact that you can do that. Like I doubt you'll see that with a Cormac McCarthy or something. But yeah, 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 yeah. Well, do you but like on that topic? Then do you think that for an artist? Uh, pushing them, pushing yourself is essentially a path towards figuring out your kind of the style that you're most happy with. Do you think there is a point at which it kind of um, beyond refining that style? You know, like beyond kind of like you know, I need to work on hands or whatever. Yeah. Like, do you, do you think that there is a a point for an artist at which they go like, okay, this is just how I draw now. Like I'm done now. This is my look. That, that's actually, or do you think? I think, I think, um, I think those two points, like the, about learning in public and uh, what you just said, I think they kind of do tie together because a lot of the time, um, I think artists actually do veer towards what the audience wants from them. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not, it's mm-hmm. not a hermetic environment, so to speak. Like it's not, it's not somebody going off into the mountains and figuring out what they want to do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. in, from the yeah. inside. Like, uh, I mean, this might be a little weird as an example, but uh, Jim Lee uh, did this wonderful uh, shot in the Vertigo uh, short story anthology called Flinch, where he mm-hmm. used this very graphically inspired, like, monochrome kind of style to draw a short story and I saw that when it was happening and I kind of tried to follow on like follow what Jim Lee did after that and he just never went back to that like I I assumed (laughs) that that was sort of his evolution that was the thing that he wanted to be doing yeah yeah, yeah. but the thing is Jim Lee is Jim Lee like Jim Lee is sort of um you know, a lot of people consider consider him the like sort of quintessential superhero artist in some ways. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure he felt the responsibility of that. Like he kind of must have felt that I kind of want to go in that direction. But you know what? I have a responsibility to all these people who like what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. it's it's. Yeah, it's because it, it, that reminds me of the, the kind of the film point, which I was um Think again, which was kind of like in my head when I was thinking about this topic, because there is a bunch of filmmakers, um, like people like Gus Van Sant or even like Steven Soderbergh, um, or uh, that's I'm gonna come up with a third example for this slip my mind, but Gu- Gus Van Sant will work. Um, where you have a filmmaker who makes stuff like um, okay, like Goodwill Hunting, um, uh, and even Milk to a degree, huh? these kind of slightly more mainstream you know, like mainstream kind of character indie films. Um, but then you've also got his kind of much more experimentally art housey stuff like uh, like Elephant or Last Days or whatever. Yeah. Um, they are t- and they, like, there are traces of, um, you know, there are traces of his signature in both of those kinds of types of films, but they are also both two very different st- like style of film. Like right. with Soderbergh, you, you might have something. Where would you put his shot-by-shot remake of Psycho? <laughs> because I've always uh, been curious about that one. I can't understand why would somebody would do, do that. I would put it uh, high because it's got Vince Vaughn in it, and I bloody love Vince <laughs> Vaughn. Um, no, well, I, like, but also, also Steven Soderbergh, right? You've got yeah. stuff like Girlfriend Experience, which is 
super kind of, uh, you know, not experimental, but super kind of like indie in terms of it had a very limited audience and it was always going to have a very limited, like very limited audience. Yeah. But then you've also got stuff like he makes like uh, Ocean's Eleven, um, which is obviously super duper popular and very mainstream. Um, and both of those have characteristics of his style, but they're also two visually quite different films. Yeah. Like one is Actually, full I'm... of visual flair and the other one's much more, like much simpler. I'm like, right. so I was wondering, do we have that for comics? Beyond the small examples like Imminent um, or even like Mazzuccelli or whatever, do, like why don't we see more of that? Like why don't we see an artist doing a big uh, mainstream book in a style and then wanting to try something else in a smaller style? Or do they do that? I don't know. I don't know. I think um, this is interesting. So really, that's, is that a tough question? <laughs> really yeah, I think, I, think, I think we need an artist to answer that. Uh, yeah. Till then, I think we are just speculating. But it's also, I think, okay, I think uh, changing writing styles is kind of a lot easier. Um, like, mm-hmm. you, you can, see, you have the art to help you out. Like, for example, like, <laughs> uh, you can... You can work with like one artist, one like completely, you know, spare style, and then another mm-hmm. who another artist who has a very, uh, you know, rendered style, and they're gonna just give you, give a very different tone to the same script. So yeah, even if you just like tweak your writing a little, it's you know it increases the eff- effect of you having a new style. But in artwork, you have to kind of um, you know relearn or um, you know, re kind of rejig your entire approach from the ground up because an art style is a very, um, an art style is not just um, little quirks. An art style is literally how an artist sees a world to a degree, at least, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, yeah, and I think because, because even when you're like learning how to draw, you're kind of, uh, imitating artists that you love like these are already people who you know sort of share a headspace with you in some way or the other so yeah, yeah, yeah. so I think art like the way you draw is almost a way of seeing and not only it is just is it just technically difficult to do a different style it is also like you'd really have to change the way you see things to a degree at least mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think J.H. Uh, Williams has been asked about this and I, I'm sure he had a pretty great answer but I can't remember it right now like, there has to be some drive that uh, makes you, you know, work that much on those things. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I think that was that's kind of like my my base, the sort of base of the idea is that is what what is it for you that drives it? And obviously, that's gonna, that's probably going to end up being different for everyone. Yeah. So for some people, it might be a case of like finding the style that has least friction. It might be a case of um, you know, like the path of least resistance to getting it down to the page. It might be. Uh, really working on certain key elements or for J- in J.H. Williams' case, it might literally just be like, I just want to do this differently. <laughs> like <laughs> I've done, I've done that thing now. I might, I just want to kind of try and do something different, which I think is maybe what what was happening with like the Steve McNeven, uh, Barry Windsor Smith thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Because I, 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 I saw what he was doing with that. And I think, I, I, I think I can see why Steve McNeven would be attracted to that because in some ways that is, um, it, it kind of shares a headspace with his style. You know, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a classicality to it. There's a, you know, there's a particular um, beauty to it. Like, you know, you know, it's it's almost in some ways like Barry Windsor Smith. And also, I think there's some that he's taking for, from P. Craig Russell, where there's just this aesthetic kind of beauty that he wants to bring to it now, which, mm-hmm. 
yeah, I think it's just a matter of priorities there. I don't, I don't even know if it's he's like consciously seeing that I'm want to draw like Barry Windsor Smith. It's just that maybe he's seeing that what I want to do now has a lot in common with what Barry Windsor Smith was doing. And which, which is the sort of like the sub plot to my question, which was um, about like if that is. Is that like a problem? Because I think it's weird because I, we saw there was kind of like a, a not it's called like a backlash, but um, you know the, the question was raised like, is this you know like how do we feel about this? Yeah, and it's something that you see a lot. I feel like you see it a lot in filmmaking where you see films that are very, very, very clearly uh, directly influenced by someone. You mentioned the shot for shot remake of Psycho, <laughs> which is a, uh, a very good example. But there's 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 tons of films like. Uh, like indie films that just draw on the same idea. Like, you know, when like after um, Little Miss Sunshine came out, there was like a whole sw- like range of films that were very Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and they were, you know, they very proudly kind of wore that on their sleeve oh, as well. They were also the, specifically also, saying that. Yeah, there's also the conscious homages. Like, for example, I think Unseen is supposed to be an uh, homage to Dario Argento, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure in those cases, you are kind of borrowing stylistic tics from the other person and whether they find it flattering or not is <laughs> like yeah I don't, I don't know where i'd sit with that like i'm going to relate this to my work in some ways um so i i work with a few artists who do their own sound effects a lot of the time right mm-hmm. uh, and there are some times when they don't have a sound effect at some point and i kind of you know do one in their style it's kind of 50-50 whether they like it or not. Yeah. Because sometimes, like, I have heard back that, you know what, uh, I don't like the idea of somebody imitating my style. Just just delete that. I'll take care of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I think it's just a... Yeah, like, whether... whether I, I don't know if it's important whether everybody else likes it. I think it's important whether, like, sort of the people in the know or, like, the, the homage person in particular, whether they like it or mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. I think the everybody else, I think, is kind of, um, I wouldn't say necessarily irrelevant, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe I do mean irrelevant, I but, mean, uh, but basically, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if, uh, see, you're, you're then making a judgment call on two other people's work, and right. the only yeah. dynamic mat- that matters there is the two of them. Is there, do you think there is a, is it like, because for me, I, I suppose there is a sort of a difference, and this is this also relates back into the the point earlier about um, if it's if it's if an artist even wants to develop or take a style beyond their their style, yeah, is because each of these things is so much more personal than than filmmaking is necessarily. Like, we, especially on a you know a big big size professional film, you've got um, a huge crew of people, and that that finished piece of work that you see that we always attribute to a director is not specifically a director's piece of work it is a amalgamation of like a ton of people's work yeah. whereas what you see on the the line work of a comic is typically one person's piece of work um and so it's much more direct i mean because even there's there's even a, a soderbergh quote from when he did unsane um because he was shooting it on the iphone and he was and he said it's so much it's, it's almost like having a paintbrush in your hand <laughs> that's how singular the vision then can be through the through the iphone so like even he is aware that he he's referring to something which is so personal, super personal. And so does, do you think for you, does that, because for me, it changes a little bit. Like, I think it's, it's, 
it changes the uh, understanding of like aping someone else's style um, because you're not necessarily so much just aping a style, which is like a, a, a coming together of loads of people. You're aping a, a single individual person's vision and you're saying that I'm, I want to kind of use that for my vision. And that's where it gets, that's where it gets not, not murky, but just sort of slightly more interesting, I think maybe because you're not, you, it's it's so much more personal at that point. Does that yeah. does that make sense? That make it, sense? It, it it does. Um, let let me take it. Like I I I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm gonna <laughs> take, um, I'm gonna take it to a different sort of um, area of looking at art, which is sort of yeah. tradition. You can see a continuum from people like Alex Toth and Milton Kenneff uh, to people like Chris Samney now and John Paul Leon a little before that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. There is a continuum like there. You can see that they have learned and integrated certain things from those styles. I could recognize all of them, but I can also recognize that without one of them, the others kind of don't exist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so that is also a way of looking at this, that um, I'm pretty sure that let's say an artist is kind of aping somebody else's style to figure something out. Like if, if they are doing yep. it honestly, then at some point of time, you're going to see what they come up with based on that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Well, it's also, yeah, I think like taking it from there, you've also got the element, okay, it is someone's personal uh, approach. Like a Mignola one is probably a good example because there are a whole ton of people that have a kind of Mignola style. No, and, and so uh, actually, that- that's a great example because uh, you look at Ryan Sook. He started out as like, a, you know, he had his style had a lot in common with Mignola to the point mm-hmm. where I have occasionally mistaken his work for Mignola's work. <laughs> but he now has a completely different style, but one that you can still trace back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where the personal becomes interesting as well on a different level because you've got someone's, uh, you know, say Mignola's personal style that he's developed himself that he kind of feels happy with that comes from very much a place of Mignola-ness. And then you've got the people coming after that who have clearly had, it's clearly had a massive major impact on them. Um, And that's kind of beautiful and kind of interesting in a way because then all of a sudden this entire person's view on their art is shaped by their love of this of this person of this thing of this style yeah. um and then you uh, yeah then you get because that's exactly the same with frank miller right because you look at frank miller's early work and you 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 call back very much to um that like golden age of superhero comic yeah. style and then from that that was a clear love and from that he started to exaggerate and started to exaggerate and started to exaggerate um so actually yeah no, I, 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 yeah i think i think that's interesting <laughs> because uh, i also remember that i i believe at some point of time a lot of people were aping sean gordon murphy's style and i think yep. somebody commented commented on it i don't know if it was murphy himself uh, but like somebody commented on that being a little annoyed but you can now <laughs> look at all those people who are doing that and they've landed somewhere else now like they kind, yeah, of, yeah, they yeah. kind of maybe like i think i'm pretty sure like what happened was that they looked at something that they had never seen done and then suddenly they were like okay no i i need to integrate that in my work because that is something that i like that is mine except i never knew it till now and then (laughs) once they kind of put it in and once they kind of work on it over and over they kind of uh they develop something new out of it which is like a lot more Mm -hmm. there so yeah so as a spectator at least i don't know if this is something to be particularly worried about um but I think it's an interesting question, like especially for artists, I would say that it's quite important. Like actually, let's 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 uh, 
let's kind of link that back to my obsession and yours, which is lettering, <laughs> which yeah. like there have been points when I had the ability to imitate somebody's uh, style perfectly to get that effect in a comic. But instead, mm-hmm. what I did was that I tweaked it a little to kind of make it my own a little bit. Uh, yeah. And it that was not because um, I thought that the thing that I came up with was necessarily better. But because I was worried about somebody looking at this and thinking that I am doing this um, to kind of like, I, uh, that I'm stealing from somebody else, that I'm disrespecting somebody. Yeah. That uh, yeah. that was like, and I, especially when the letter that I, I was going to be imitating was alive. Like, I, I mean, I, at this point, I might just do a Terry Zenix style and I think I'd be okay with that. Like, or actually, yeah, I remember um, discussing this with somebody that I'd kind of come up with a, like, just for a style sheet experiment, I'd kind of come up with a, mm-hmm. almost like a 90% accurate uh, imitation of Tom Frame's style. Uh, okay. Tom Frame, yeah. uh, who used to letter for 2080. And I kind mm-hmm. of uh, put it in, put it up in a forum and I asked about like, so would this be okay to do in a comic? Like, could I use this style in a comic? And the consensus seemed to be that, uh, look, if the if you're not losing the other person money by imitating them, <laughs> especially in Tom yeah. Frame's case, case because he, he was like, expi- he had passed away by then. Uh, yeah. They basically said it was okay, but I, I still haven't actually used that style ever because... I just there's something about it that just makes me feel a little weird, but I have yeah, yeah, yeah. I have used little bits and pieces of that style sheet that I did in other stuff because I was like okay I can take this inspiration I can make something else out of it. Yeah, I mean, so it's a, essentially a case of what we're getting it down to is a case of you will probably see this a lot actually as someone as an artist develops and develops and develops and figures out what kind of like works for them and what doesn't work for them. Yeah, but that's also a super neat way to link into what you want to talk about this week, right? Yeah, it does actually. Um, that wasn't planned as well. That was that, that just worked out really well. <laughs> that is a genuine segue. <laughs> right. We're figuring this shit out. So you want to talk about a Alex Toth's lettering, which also is insanely varied yeah. and kind of, it's like, it's, it is very much like he's kind of figuring it out as he goes. No, absolutely. Uh, well, the thing that I want to talk about is, um, is that Alex Toth kind of kept developing his style over the years, like till his uh, death, I think. And uh, what interested me was that when, like whenever he would tweak his art style, you could still see that his primary motive was clarity. Like always, mm-hmm. like he, I don't mm-hmm. think he ever drew an unclear panel, like uh, in a comic. <laughs> but the things that he would do with his own lettering were sometimes incredibly bonkers. They was just weird, and um, so they ranged from like very simple uh, balloons to like you know maybe slightly scalloped balloons, like uh, you know Gasper's work or something, mm-hmm. to just bizarre things that he was trying out to figure out something that he, he wanted to do. Um, so, firstly, I want to just say that I, I think Alex Toth's body copy font, that not, not font actually, like, but the, you know, letter forms that he would do are like mm-hmm. absolutely incredible. Like any anybody who wants to uh, start hand lettering or something like that needs to look at uh, Alex Toth's lettering. Um, and um, so I, I, have a, this, I have this folder of pictures that we can sort of, go through and we should probably link those uh in the description yeah we'll put them in the description and but we'll also kind of try our best to describe, describe them, yeah 
how they're different than regular um, balloons. Probably we'll start by just getting you to imagine what a, a genuine, like a normal uh, speech balloon looks like, and we'll try and figure it out from there. Yeah, yeah. So um, a normal uh, speech balloon is basically um, something resembling an oval or a circle or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, is oblong the right word for this? No, no, like a like a oval. Oval. It's okay. like a like a like a squashed like a squashed egg. Correct, like a, like a TV shaped thing, right? Yeah. And you have the uh, thought bubbles, which are basically, uh, you know, little. Uh, what do you call it? It's like a little like cloud. Yeah, it looks like a little yeah. cloud, and with like tiny circles going outside, pointing to somebody's head. So that's the basic mm-hmm. style that he used for a lot of stuff. Like, uh, you know, there's this comic called Unknown that you can find online. You can yep. see it uh, in that. Then he would do something uh, like he used this on his early Young Love um, uh, comics, which was a slightly italicized uh, typeface, like a body copy thing. So, And uh, he would do scalloped balloons, which is essentially you have, uh, it kind of looks like one or two different ovals kind of squished together. Yeah, it's like it's like a really, uh, it's, like, it's like almost like a basic thing. Um, thought balloon isn't it it's like he hasn't gone all the way on like a normal thought balloon it's like he's only done like two bumps yeah kind of thing <laughs> yeah and and walt kelly would use those quite a lot in pogo uh mm-hmm. you know he had these like nice little cut uh, balloon things uh so there was that one yeah i think this style and the previous one have inspired darwin cook quite a bit because you can see sort of this line going from alex thoughts hand lettering to darwin cook's hand lettering and stuff like Parker mm-hmm. and things. So those are the basics that you would kind of do over and over again for his more popular work. And then he would experiment a little. So one of those experiments was uh, something that I've seen uh, John Workman do on John Paul Leon's work quite a bit, which is that you have a standard balloon and instead of a tail, you just draw one line out, just one line, yeah. uh, one black line outside. And if you're drawing it, on a black surface, then you just turn that line into white, right? Mm-hmm. So it's basically still a balloon with something pointing out of it, uh, but it's just slightly, uh, slightly stranger. Uh, I've actually used that style in a couple of comics of my own. Um, I was gonna say I've seen, I think I've seen you use that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I showed you one. Like I, I don't think that comic has come out yet, but I did it in a couple of things. Um, <laughs> I, the thing is, I, I really like that style. I like that's something that I want to try and get or pull like pull off somewhere. I mean, it's, it's very uh, you've kind of got to get people to kind of buy into it. But I love it because it it, it ends up putting the um, the balloons kind of uh, with less um, they kind of get in the way a little bit less. Like the, because the tail is less of a thing, it's just kind of a line. There is less uh, like emphasis. From my opinion, anyway, there's less like emphasis on like the shape specifically of the tail and everything like that. It's just very direct, and I quite like that because it put it seems to me to put more emphasis on the words than it does anything else. I don't know why. I don't know what you feel about. Huh, it, that's I, a, I, I, I haven't like actually it. thought about that. Uh, I I think I'd kind of agree because it it feels much less intrusive when you mm-hmm. kind of uh, you know cross over onto a character with that. Yeah, it doesn't feel as if you're shutting out too much of the artwork. Um, But also I think the reason that we don't tend to do that a lot is that it really needs a specific art style for that or uh, it needs to be integrated into the art style at the beginning. Like the artist needs to know that this is what's going to be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, like for example, um, strokeless balloons. Um, it It works for very specific styles 
and the artist has to be aware and the colorist has to be aware that this is what's going to be used because there are certain things you won't be able to do with those. So you kind mm-hmm. of have to mm-hmm. move around. So yeah. so that's actually a good point because I think a lot of what Toth was doing, uh, he could do because he was drawing the uh, pictures as well, which we'll, I think, come back to a little later uh, when we kind of talk about the really weird shit. So <laughs> the next one is the thing that he's done a lot, which a lot of people have noticed, which is that instead of a tail coming outside the balloon, he would draw a little line in, in inwards into the balloon, mm-hmm. uh, just sort of basically kind of like a, uh, you know, a minute hand or something. Yeah. Just sort of pointing towards the person speaking. This is a weird one. This is a really weird one. <laughs> yeah. And I can't, I, ha- I can't decide if I like it or not. I, I do kind of like it. But again, you have to draw a certain way to do that. Yeah. Because, because you cannot, uh, let, let's say there are two characters in a panel. Uh, you cannot do this style without planning it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the page that we are linking with this, uh, you can look at the last panel of that. And you can already see the style slightly, you know, disintegrating a little. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it, the, it becomes it becomes work at that point. I think exactly. The, the, yeah, the balloon uh, with the like uh, the the guy on the left is very far, and the balloon mm-hmm. with the guy on the right is like right above him. But but here's, yeah. here's the interesting thing. Okay, have you read you've read Motor Crush, right? Yeah. So I use these little stubby manga style balloons on the on that one. Right. Mm -hmm. And it definitely is a lot of work making sure that people can see who it's pointing to because you can never use a long tail to kind of circle around anything. You always have to basically be very clear that this is the balloon and this is who it's pointing to. Nobody can be confused. Mm -hmm. But it can be done. It can, like, I've done it for. 11 issues now i think and i think i've yeah, yeah, yeah. i've faced a little bit of a problem like maybe once and then i think we just retooled the dialogue a little bit to kind of make it make it work with that so my problem my problem with this is not so much like even clarity so much as it it to me like i this is my classic hassan thing of overthinking everything in comics <laughs> but you know like it like it reads it reads really separate like far too separate for me to kind of like enjoy it separate uh, the, what do you the, mean by separate like the balloons feel incredibly removed from everything else. Like they, like to me, they feel very, 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 uh, like they've just been pop, like stuck on top of the art with like a little pointer. Yeah. Um, tails. I think I'm just programmed to see tails as a bit more as part of like the image. Whereas these feel to me very, very much like someone's just come around to a piece of art and just kind of like stuck the balloon on and didn't want to be too invasive of anything that was happening. And so when I read it, it sort of like feels really cold. Like, like on the top, right, you've got, uh, a guy kind of really exclaiming why me why me why me blah, 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 with kind of um, bold text yeah. but it, to me it just it just doesn't read like it's part of the same image it just reads um it, it, it reads like kind of really separate to everything it reels it feels really cold and i don't buy into that at all that's i think that that's obvious that could also just be me kind of having a weird reading of it right so um, what I wanted to do when I proposed the topic evolutionary dead ends in lettering is talk about stuff like this because there's a lot of stuff that people used to do in lettering that they don't anymore and mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of discuss the reasons for that and that's a that's a really interesting reason for why this wouldn't work like do you think if this was just done a lot more 
it would be okay uh, because i have i think i have like heard people talk about why manga lettering doesn't really work for them because they don't like those stubby balloons because they yeah. you know sometimes feel like uh, they're too far away from the characters and stuff mm-hmm. um so no i think i think i think my issue with it is that it inverts it, it inverts into the balloon yeah and so it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's connecting with the art so much as trying to stay away from it and then therefore i feel like it the, the balloons itself are staying away from the art like it doesn't right. you know with a tail with a tail you're kind of like re, you're like this is such a weird way to describe it but it's, with a tail it kind of feels like you're reaching out to the art yeah you're excluding like you're, into you're the reaching art into the sea yeah. yeah yeah whereas this is the exact opposite it's like i'm gonna like a turtle that's just stuck itself into its shell it's kind of just it's 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 moving away from everything yeah. and that feels no i agree with it you makes it feel distant i think i think i think i'm i think i'm on board with what you're saying about this <laughs> yeah yeah so there was there's a couple of other ones that i want to talk about before we go to the like the absolute bonkers one like and i think we i'm building this up very like a lot <laughs> but so the one more yeah. thing that he would do is that he would just not draw a balloon at all and he would uh, just letter it you know on 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 the background and then draw a tail yeah. with just one single line and that's something yeah. that you see a lot in uh, newspaper strips uh, mm-hmm. partly because like they don't have backgrounds so much right yeah, yeah so you can kind of I like I like this one yeah this is quite nice. I like this, this one. is quite interesting like this is the one but again it you no go on sorry go on. this is the one where which where the last panel says 45th and 8th um, mm-hmm. so just to give reference to the reader, uh, listener yeah, I think this one I really like this one, but again, it's 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 working because, like as you say, there isn't really much in the in the way of backgrounds, and the one panel where there is is the panel where there's no dialogue. <laughs> so it's <laughs> yeah. like he's he's very much having to work around that. Um, but but I, one... I like this because it feels it feels integral to you know it feels actually like it, it's a in part complete of the like contrast. Yeah, in complete contrast to the last page, this is actually like a part of the page. True, but I would say that one bit of this doesn't quite work for me, which is the second to last panel, where there's uh, uh, you know those thought bubble lines kind of going. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. quite work for me. Like I, I'm. That's weird because that requires some knowledge. Yeah. Bef- like you know yeah. everything else, you can read that and you go words that's coming from that dude. I'm guessing he's saying that. That's the only one that requires you to understand some. Yeah, you you need to know the convention of what a thought bubble looks like. Yeah, 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 that's the one that yeah, it does that one does stumble a little bit. Yeah. But you're even you're even the clever thing that he does here is you're even able to get across um emotion a little bit. Like where on the what would it be? One, two, let's say middle right of the page <laughs> instead of counting panels. Um middle right of the page yeah. that where I may draw like a kind of like a loose balloon, like a wavy balloon. Yeah. He's, he's just doing all that day. through that one yep. stroke. Yep, yep. Yeah, he, he does a for the listener. He does a uh, rather than just doing a kind of a straight stroke from text to the face. He's done a kind of like a, a wavy kind of line to show like the guy's just been kind of um, you know knocked down, yeah. um, and that's really cool that you can put so you can put emotion essentially into a single black line. <laughs> Seriously, that that's that's exactly that's really nicely done. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is the uh, all quiet one where it's all sound effects everywhere, and. This is interesting because when I showed Hass this, he thought that uh, okay. First, let me describe what they look like. So basically, the, yeah, describe the yeah, balloons. Yeah, the ovals yeah. are exactly the same. Like they're just standard uh, comics balloons, except instead of a tail, there are three lines coming outside. You know, from like towards the speaker. And when I showed mm-hmm. Hass this for the first time, he thought that that is speed lines. Right. Yeah, they look. They essentially look like three kind of like speed lines coming out of each balloon. Yeah, and I'm I'm sort of reading each of these balloons as a shouty balloon, 
because of that. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if it would work as a, just a style. Yeah, I don't think you could have two people having like an intimate dialogue, <laughs> like an intimate back and forth. Yeah. But in this style, everyone is kind of shouting stuff, right? Because like the first panel, it's everything's going wrong. The third panel, uh, you, it does actually look like two people shouting at each other. The fourth panel, pure expletives. Yeah, um, and the, and the, the fifth panel is literally giant text of someone shouting, shut up. Shut up. Uh, yeah, so, and the whole thing's all about movement and noise anyway, obviously. Yeah, also, here's something weird he's doing on this one. Like, the shut up just made me realize that all these round things that he's drawing are supposed to be shouty balloons. But because of yeah. our conventions, they're reading like thought bub bubbles to me in the second panel. Okay. Second panel's panel. Yeah. Like that, that dashing, uh, rearance grinding again. I thought that was a thought bu uh, bubble. And that made me confused why, like, all those rick and sprang and everything were also in that. So it's just like he's doing this experimentation thing, which I don't know if it's quite working. But because it's restricted mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to a page, like a single page, I think he can do that. It, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it, it does, it does like completely change the reading experience. Yeah like entirely change the reading experience in a way where the art, like we're not going to talk about it this week, but that, you know, the lettering invisible uh, debate, mm -hmm. it completely like, or even last week we talked about letterers having a voice like this, this dramatically changes the way that you read the story, yeah. like in, to everyone as well. Like, I don't think you wouldn't have someone that would read this in a entirely unique way. It's, it's so different. Yep. And it's amazing that just adding two lines, like mostly for the most part, you know, it's just an extra two lines on a balloon yeah. has kind of changed the way we interpret it. Yeah, this is this is this one's very interesting because I think the way he's done it, he's he intends to, you know, he intends for the reader to just read all of these as sounds. Like I don't know if he really yeah. wants to make a differentiation between dialogue and sound. He just wants mm -hmm. it all to come across as sound because the title yeah. is all quiet and it's a fucking noisy comic. <laughs> so I think that's that's kind of, that kind of makes it a little more interesting that the obfuscation is kind of part of the charm of the whole thing. But again, this is something you yeah. can do in a single page comic. I wouldn't I wouldn't not want to do this over twenty four pages or something. You, yeah, you'd have to really it'd have to be an insane comic yeah. <laughs> over over a long period of time. Yeah, I do love this one though. Like this is one of the earliest Alec thought things that I ever saw. Uh, I obviously mm -hmm. I read Zorro without realizing it was Alex Thoth, but after that, like yeah. when I came to Alex Thoth for the first time, that was the thing that I saw. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a couple of other smaller things that he's doing in a couple of other places that I want to just mention, uh, which is that uh, on the um, Witching Hour one, like the the one where mm -hmm. which has a black gutter and you know this is three panels. He's kind of um, yeah. We talked about it last uh, week that you know uh keep all the dialogue to the top third of the page sorry top third of the panel yeah. is kind of like something yeah. i don't really agree with but here he like you can kind of see the advantages and the disadvantages of this like you there's uh, you know uh as a con uh you you are reading the words and the image separately but then mm -hmm. he is also trying to kind of connect all of those kind of squish them all together and he's kind of doing some interesting things with the shapes of the balloons. Yeah. Everyone's kind of got like a sort of a different voice. Yeah. Yeah. With the different, they've all got kind of different balloon shapes, yeah. but you do like, I mean, the way that I would read this uh, is 
I would just fully just go straight across the top of the panels before even really kind of engaging with the art for the most part. Like you kind of hit that, didn't she? And then because they, it overlaps, I'm thinking like specifically middle panel yeah. here. Because didn't she? And then it overlaps, you kind of end up running straight into those balloons. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think he's using... Which may, I, think, I think it's bad design because, you know, the panel is re- it has got a bunch of characters who are all squished up to get, like, against right. each other. Right, and I think he's using those balloons to kind of make them read as different moments because the first two balloons are kind of supposed to be happening together. Then this next one with the, like, the long-nosed witch, I think is the second one. And then you're supposed to read the third one. So he's kind of dividing mm-hmm. a single panel into three images just by using the fact that, you know, he's kind of... Um, created these dividing lines at the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So again, this is something that you would not be able to do if you were lettering somebody else's work. Not, yeah, not without a lot of planning before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is the so this one kind of leads us to the last one, which is the weird one. And I don't know if I'll be able to describe this one properly to the uh, listener. Let's try this out. yeah this this is is bizarre yeah so instead of drawing any kind of balloon he's kind of drawn shapes at the top of the panel to put the dialogue into what he does after that is that he just draws a line between them to separate different characters dialogues and he just like does a pointer for the speaker and then he does a you know, thought bubble thing for the for the person who's thinking. And then in the second row, he's doing something even weirder, which is that he's done the same thing again, except he's drawn a bubble in the middle to kind of connect the two things. And then there's a thought bubble going to uh, the guy who's thinking the thing. And yeah. that is... It's, like, it, it, it's kind of like if you imagine... It's not quite as a regular shape as like a normal caption box, but it's almost like if you imagine a caption box had like a dividing line in it and dialogue on the left, on the left side, dialogue on the yeah, right side. Yeah, kind of. It, it, it looks like a restaurant menu almost. Tails. Like, yeah, you kind yeah, of yeah. unfold it. Like, especially, yeah, like <laughs> in, in, if you look at the third row, there's one person thinking four different thoughts. And the way he's done it is that mm-hmm. he's drawn one irregular shape around all of them and then separated them in the middle with a line and a bubble going in the middle. And yeah. Again, it makes sense. Like, like I could, you can read. Yeah, this. there's logic and to I think it. It's, it's just fairly clearly. Yeah, it's 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 easily understandable. Like you you get that. I like without even thinking about it, I read it, and as soon as I saw the the like the bubble kind of set that sits over the line, yeah. I knew straight away. Okay, well that's carrying on. That's that same person's uh, dialogue. It makes sense. It has the same problem with to me as. Um, a lot of these other experiments I thought did <laughs> in that it feels it, it, it for some reason I, I don't know why maybe because they're joined it feels like you have got two separate layers of something and yeah. I think probably part of that is, is the fact that it does all just put up against the panel border and it's all um, and because the, both things are squished against each other it's just kind of going like I'm going to put the text up here and leave it alone and I'm going to put the artwork down here and that's separate yeah. and I, I don't know how much of that was, was almost by his design because you know, he obviously relished in his artwork. It's it's like gorgeous artwork. And I don't know how much was him just figuring out a way of, like, how can I get the writing out of the way? Like, that, that might be me entirely reading into it, but it's it, like some of these do feel a little bit like he just wants to get them out the yeah, way. <laughs> so uh, the, the visuals stand to the no, Absolutely, that could be the case. Because, uh, see, we look at placements as important because, um, because conventional comics drawing 
kind of uh, needs us to. But you look at somebody mm-hmm. like, let's say, Eddie Campbell, where uh, all the dialogue has placements in quotes, but all the narration is, you know, just going, you know, on the top. You know, every yeah. every pa- every panel is like text on the top and the panel at the bottom, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's never confusing. It's always understandable. You know, mm-hmm. so maybe it's yeah. uh, maybe it's just him, him doing that actually because he's done that in like two or three different um, different styles that we've seen here that he kind of puts everything mm-hmm. at the top and leaves the bottom for the artwork. Yeah, like because we, you mentioned last time, I think it was last time, uh, about the idea of like when uh, the when the letterer would draw the panel borders as well, and he would, and so you get a, a, like a lot of like workmen, um, like leaving the the tops of balloons open into the yeah. gutter, um, and that there is an element, and you talked about, we talked about the idea of having a using that panel as like a window, so there is kind of like you are looking through the panel at the scene that takes place behind the panel, but sitting on top of that image is almost like these balloons. Like they are almost like a separate, um, you know, like a separate field or a separate layer to the, to the right. image. And that, I think I get, I'm like, that comes across quite a lot in the examples that we've looked at today for Toth stuff, um, is that it feels like the words, the balloons are very much like on a separate layer to the imagery. Like it's almost like they're sat on top of a, of like a glass and I'm looking through the glass at the scene, but they're sat very much on top of the glass. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't know how much of that is, you know that could very well just be design, in that it's he doesn't he's not seeing the words as a specific part of the scene, but just like a thing you have to read to understand the thing that you're actually. Yeah, because uh, if you look at Kyle Baker's stuff, uh, there's a couple of graphic novels he's done where all the dialogue kind of goes below the panel, and there are no mm-hmm. like uh, he kind of designs the book around it that you never have more than two people speaking in a panel because you only have right and left as options. I think maybe the middle once in a while, <laughs> yeah. uh, but. Yeah. He kind of designs the whole thing around that. And I think Thoth is also doing the same. Like the thing in common that I've seen now uh, that you mentioned that is that pretty much in every version, like this is this is work from like 30 years, uh, you know, over 30 mm-hmm. years. And his approach to lettering in terms of placement has not actually changed at all, which is that everything goes to the <laughs> Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. interesting. Which is so essentially like he's trying to think of different things in one aspect of lettering, but for that he kind of keeps the stability on the other aspect. That this is how it's never going to be confusing, at least like the way I look at it. Um, you know, yeah. so basically everything stays at the top, so nobody's ever confused about where to go from where. So yeah, then he yeah, can yeah. do those weirdo yeah. things. Like <laughs> I, I, I love that one. Seriously, it's brilliant. Like I really want to try that at some point. <laughs> I quite I, I like I quite like these ones where they are like like it, it does I just, it doesn't really work for me in terms of like not feeling completely separate entirely separate from yeah. the artwork. But there's just something that's quite satisfying about seeing all the text in like the same place with just the dividing line. Yeah. I don't know what it is about it, but it feels very neat. Like it's, it feels like, you know, the organizational <laughs> side of me has gone like, okay, well, these go here and these all sit there <laughs> and like, and everything else goes here. There's something quite satisfying. I'd love to try it. No, no one would ever let me do it, but I'd, I'd love to try it on something. No. And, uh, and look at the, if you look at the witching hour one, uh, if you look at the bottom tier, you kind of realize that he really wants to fill up the top Yeah. because uh, the first balloon 
he could easily have gone in like two or three lines and he could have moved the artwork a little lower mm-hmm. but he really wants to fill up the entire top yeah yeah for whatever reason it's just it's just beautiful it's just somebody just going all out on an eccentric <laughs> <laughs> well every but every single example uh looking through all of these every single example less so maybe on the all's quiet one but even but a little bit on that as well um that's probably the one that breaks it but everything else you can see it's like it's like every balloon is filled with helium and they're all just rising to the top of the panel rising to the top. Um, <laughs> as much as possible they're butting against the, the panel borders um i saw i think it was um nate from blambot saying that he typically kind of likes to butt his balloons as much as possible against the top of the panel um yeah which which then like leaves any any balloons not doing that kind of a little bit more powerful almost uh, have a bit more emphasis yeah. um but here if it feels less specifically like I, I don't get the impression that toss doing it for like that reason more so than just like getting it out of the way it's which yeah, is weird think, because he was was he writing a lot of these i think wasn't he uh i think he wrote like looking at these i think he probably wrote around 40 to 50% of these yeah so even for the ones then that he is writing he's doing the same thing which is it's almost like he's going like i know i have to write this but just get it out yeah. of the way i don't know if that's true that's entirely just me reading it like that but it does kind of come across like he just want just like get out of the way and let me draw this stuff yeah i think i think it might also come from newspaper strips yeah uh, because i think newspaper strips even now you tend to see that the dialogue just goes towards the top mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's just kind of smarter to do that when you have like 3 to 4 panels to work with um but i think it's also a matter of i think it's also a matter of um thought prized clarity quite a bit and yeah. if you put all the balloons to the top no one's ever going to be confused it's just <laughs> it might be as simple as that i love the idea that like i'm going to make it very simple to read but also not by like messing about with all of these balloons and trying to do all these weird balloon things somewhere in between there like I'll make yeah. it easy but also really 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 well, I think it's entirely possible that he was actually trying to increase the clarity if anything like yeah, he just I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was his yeah I'm sure that was his motive yeah 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 because because balloons are they they're not an approximation of anything within the comic they're they're like Will Eisner explained it as like breath captured somewhere but that's not really what they are like you don't really hear breathing sounds when you look at a balloon right right yeah 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 it's it's just it's just something else it's just a it's a matter of convenience like i i would uh, like you know when I, when we do the evolutionary dead ends thing we will probably talk about like how what balloon started which is like there were like as many different styles as artists working back then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and everybody was trying to figure out a different way so the first version of word balloons if i remember correctly was actually ribbons of text so what they were trying to do was not relate them to things that are coming out of the person's mouth but as things that recognizably contain text yeah 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 you know like it was more like a greek chorus narrator kind of style thing wasn't it pardon me that was more of like a greek chorus almost like a narrator style of 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 writing text it was like a um, like a maybe but even dialogue even dialogue would kind of like it would sort of pop out of the speaker's mouth and then roll somewhere like it was like oh, okay. it yeah. was like a little bit of rhythm a ribbon rolled out of the person's uh, right. mouth yeah yeah so, yeah yeah and we yeah. slowly sort of shifted that to be very more specifically like this is an actual sound coming out of this fictional character's uh, <laughs> like mouth yeah Yeah. I I think there is something primarily powerful about the uh 
basic oil with a tail coming out of it because um, if it wasn't, I don't think it would be the prevalent method of working like pretty much all over the world. Yeah, it just um, works. Like, it just, I think it's just one of those things that, like, if you see it, you just understand it. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so, it. yeah, yeah. It's, and no, like, I don't think it matters either what shape, specifically, like, what shape that thing is. If it's a square, if it's an oblong, if it's a circle or whatever it is. That, yeah. As long as it's got those basic things of, like, you have contained some text within a shape and there is a, an arrow pointing towards someone, we're always going to be able to read that as that person speaking. Yeah. And even, like, stuff like WhatsApp, for example. Or like iMessage, <laughs> yeah. that yeah. that has stuff like uh, let me let me actually check iMessage. Hang on, yep, I, iMessage also has a little tail coming out of, of out of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, 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 we understand it like a, an arrow pointing to a thing. We understand like look at that thing, or this is coming yeah. from that thing. This is related to that thing. Exactly, and this is sounds coming from that thing, or like text mm-hmm. coming from that thing. So that's interesting. Well, which, I think. Yeah, sorry. Was it, was I think, I think maybe point? that is why maybe that is why the the one with the the. Uh, you know, line going inside doesn't work. Yeah, it's because, because it's too everything else, itself. Yeah, everything else is a shape with something, an indicator coming out of it. But that one is not that. That one is something different. Well, which of these, which of these is like, which of these is your favorite one? Which of these, or which of these do you think is the most successful, shall we say? Beyond just the regular, uh, <laughs> the regular balloons. Uh, I think the one that I like the most is the one he used in Young Love, which is the scalloped balloons and the, um, the the like you know nice thought bubble shapes. Yeah. Uh, but that might be because it's just like it, it's just a well done page. Like it's just <laughs> the lettering on it is really well done. I really like his slight italics. I like the way he's kind of like turned the Y into this almost like angular, mm-hmm. like beautiful thing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Like, I think I like it more for his letter forms on that than anything else. But the one that I would really want to use at some point is the absolute bonkers one that with the little lines in the middle. I just don't, I just want to see if I can make that work. That's, yeah, that's the same for me. That's the one that I would love to try on something. Like, I, that is, yeah. I, like, I will, I'll be doing that at some point on someone's art who hasn't asked me to do it. And I'll never send it to them for that. <laughs> I'm just going to try it and be like, does this work? No. Yeah, I, uh, I think well, it's going to be it. a... I think the answer is probably going to be a no because everybody else would have to contort their work to fit this. Um, yeah, plus 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 everyone reading it would have to like get over the fact that it looked like that in the first place. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Because it's so different. Yeah, I think I might try this on something that maybe I write that is maybe <laughs> limited to like four or five pages. Yeah, yeah. That could one, be something the, doable. The one I think is most successful is that torpedo one, I think. The one that is that we have seen other like you know we've seen elsewhere the the regular right. balloon with the single line coming out of it i think that's one of my favorite all-time favorite like looks just because it's so it's so like uh nothing it's so it's so like it to me it's the one of the most invisible types it's sort of, of the platonic ideal of what a balloon should be yeah, and it also looks super drawn, and obviously this is drawn, but I think just the idea that there's there is just like a stroke coming out of a thing to me feels very hand done already naturally. Right. Yeah. That's yep. a weird yep. thing, but like I, I can so. I can see that I can see that. Yeah, I I like that one. I do like that one. I just uh, the 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 problem is not with that one. The problem is uh, with the versions I've seen of that in real life, like mm-hmm. every else doing it sometimes they just kind of don't work with the artwork uh but here it really works like if the artist himself is doing it i think you don't have a problem at all yeah yeah yeah. 
Yeah. No, it's, it, it's, it's amazing as well to see someone do so. Like, I think that's just the most impressive part of it is to see someone just not accept it. Like, not go, okay, this is what they look like, but I'm not happy with that. <laughs> like, right. I want to find that's the a, thing that works. That's actually why I wanted to do this episode, like, this topic on this episode, because I just wanted to, like, this is someone who's just trying different, different things every time to see yeah. how, and he's trying to see how he can make it work. He, and he kind of makes it work almost every time. That's that's oh it, like yeah like it I mean at the end of the day it still reads <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> it's not anything to make the comic illegible right uh, but just to make it cold for me in various different ways <laughs> but, it's, but that's the thing every single time it does work like it, it makes sense every single time it's right. really it's really cool for Z yep 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 I'm really happy that I chose this then <laughs> <laughs> so that's everything we got to talk about this week. Um, on letters and lines. We did take a question at the start of the episode, so if you've got any questions about lettering or just comic stuff that you'd want us to chat about or answer or try and get to the root of, uh, please let us know via Twitter um, or just email or just sending your thoughts or smoke signals or whatever is best. Um, (laughs) You can find the podcast uh, at all the usual places that you can find podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, we've got an RSS feed, we're actually on iTunes now, so that's exciting. Right, so you can keep up to date with me on Twitter at Aditya B and my website is AdityaB.net. Um, we are still working to finish that up, but it should be done by the end of the month, I think. And I'm on Twitter at Hassan Awi. Plus, you can check out Strip Panel Naked on YouTube and my magazine, Panel by Panel, at panelxpanel.com. Thanks for listening.